Good Morning Nancy is a horror movie podcast, and it may not be for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And if you're new to the show, welcome. This is season five, episode five, and we are so excited for you to join us. Gracie and I have been friends since forever, and we love talking about our favorite horror movies together and with you. All while drinking a nice cup of coffee. Today we'll be discussing the 2014 Iranian-American vampire spaghetti western film. Whew, that's a mouthful. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. It was written and directed by Anna Lily Amirpour, and it stars Sheila Vand, Arash Marandi, Mozan Marno, and Marshall Manesh. We are not shy about spoilers, so if you haven't seen this film, we highly suggest that you pause this recording and watch it first. Okay, still here? All right, let's get this morning started. So while studying in Germany, writer-director Anna Lily Amirpour decided that playing the studio filmmaking game was not her cup of tea. Or cup of coffee, I guess. No. She wanted to make films that were pure soul. She said, quote, I'm going to write something where everything people say and do turns me on. Nice. <laughs> no, that's pretty badass. Yes. So, what most inspired her feature film debut about a vampire? Well, it started with Anne Rice, whom Amirpour was obsessed with, adding that vampires in general make great characters for stories. In an interview with Wired, Amirpour said, quote, A vampire is so many things. Serial killer, a romantic, a historian, a drug addict. They're sort of all of these things in one. However, the specific idea to make a girl came to her one day when she put on a chopar, which is a traditional Iranian garment. In an interview with Electric Sheep magazine, she said, quote, I had a chopar as a prop in a movie, and I put it on for the first time. It felt like a stingray. I instantly felt like a creature. Whoa. It moves, and it's made of different kind of fabric. It's very soft, and it catches the wind, and it's beautiful. And I just felt like a badass. And then I thought, this would be an Iranian vampire. This is it. It's this girl. And the whole idea for the film started with this character. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> so the title came when she was pitching this story to one of her producers, Sina Saya. According to Amirpour, I thought it would be so cool to have her in a park and some man starts following her through the streets into a building and then into an apartment. And then right when he enters into the apartment, she turns around, and she eats him. Nice. I was telling Sina, my producer, and I was explaining, and there's this girl and she walks home alone at night. And then I was like, that's it. That's the title. Oh, my God. This movie is the best. <laughs> Amirpour shot a short film with the same title and screened it at multiple multiple festivals. It won Best Short Film at the Noor Iranian Film Festival. An Indiegogo campaign was launched in July of 2012 to fund a feature-length version of the film. 
and on August 27, 2012, the campaign's goal of 55000 was surpassed. The project ended up with just under 57000 raised by 290 backers. The film was shot in the town of Taft in Kern County in Southern California, which is west of Bakersfield, where Amir Poor spent much of her young life. Bakersfield was like Footloose with a lot of Mexican gangs, <laughs> said Amir Poor. Every weekend, I'd make my dad rent me four or five horror movies a night. I watched Faces of Death when I was 10. Girl, what? I just watched that movie like three years ago, and I was not prepared. So, ooh, buddy. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night was released at Sundance in November 2014 and eventually earned 628000 at the box office. Wow. In a review of the film, Andrew Ohihir said, quote, Amirpur repurposes the most familiar kinds of ingredients. This is essentially a story about a boy, a girl, and a really cool car. To create something that feels both classic and unknown. Yes. With that said, Abby, would you please remind us all of the plot? Sure can. Set in the fictional land of Bad City, a girl walks home alone at night follows the story of a young female vampire known only as the girl who watches the lives of her city's inhabitants after nightfall. She takes victims who seem to have a penchant for mistreating women and adorned in her traditional Iranian shador, hunts the streets of Bad City at night. She's smitten by a young man with demons of his own named Arash. Arash doesn't have the easiest life, as we learn that his mother has passed away, leaving him alone with his father Hussein, as he battles a heroin addiction. A local drug dealer named Saeed makes life hell for Arash, taking his car as payment for his father's debt to him. We're also introduced to a woman named Etty, a prostitute who works for Saeed, who has her hand in dealing drugs for him as well. One night, Saeed seeks the company of a mysterious young girl who turns out to be our main nameless heroine and vampire. She slays him after he attempts to have sex with her, and in an effort to get his car back, Arash stumbles upon the body of Saeed after he's murdered by the girl in his apartment. Arash takes all of Saeed's drugs and money and begins a new, strange life. One night, as he wanders through Bad City, he meets the girl, and she takes him back to her home, but instead of killing him, she leaves him alive, and they begin to meet regularly at night. The girl also builds a friendship with Ati after following her through the city and watching her, noticing that she doesn't have the lust for life that she used to. She becomes sort of a protector for Ati and reminds her of what hope she had before she was a sex worker. Life seems to get pretty bleak for this small group of folks, and as Hussein tries to cope with heroin withdrawals, he has a mental break, and Arash kicks him out of the house, giving him drugs, money, and his beloved cat, and telling him never to come back. Hussein tracks Ati down and forces her to do heroin with him, and the girl, sensing something is wrong, comes to Ati's aid, killing Hussein and helping her dump his body a few blocks from her apartment. Upon discovering that his father has died, Arash packs up his belongings and tells the girl, whom he has fallen in love with, that they should leave Bad City. As she begins to pack, he sees that the cat that he threw out with his father is living in her apartment, and as he looks around, notices that there are a pile of men's watches, all from the girl's victims, in her home. 
He begins to put the pieces together and realizes she killed his father. However, Arash, the girl, and the cat drive off together into the night, searching for a new life and leaving the tragedy of Bad City behind. Ooh, thank you so much, Abby, for that wonderful plot summary. Yeah. Good Morning Nancy is proudly sponsored by Recess Coffee. We wouldn't be able to create such great content without being fueled by their magical beans. And the great part is, is that each batch of coffee is locally, artisanally roasted, and it comes from fair trade farmers. Gracie, what's your favorite blend? Oh my gosh. Okay, so my favorite blend is the Westcott blend. It has African and Indonesian beans mixed to create a clean, rich, and full-bodied cup of coffee. Mm. It has a rich floral vanilla aroma with a sugared almond flavor and a lemon finish. Yum! Ooh, delicious. My favorite is the Austin's blend. It's a unique blend of African, Indonesian, and Central American beans roasted to create a characteristically rich, dark, and smoky cup. It has a bold roasted nut aroma with chocolate flavors and a smooth, fruity finish. The coffee is seriously so good. I don't even have to put any cream or sugar in it. I just drink it black like my soul. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So guys, head on over to RecessCoffee.com to order yours today. Or if you're a Syracuse local, stop by either shop at 110 Harvard Place or 110 Montgomery Street. So drink coffee, shoot lightning. Now back to the show. All right, so the Bechtel test. So I actually had on here that it passed, but she doesn't have a name. Right. So technically, it doesn't pass because she's nameless. Uh, I don't really like that, though. Yeah, I (laughs) know. She has a name. It's just the girl. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, technically it doesn't pass, but... I still want to say that it counts personally. So I'm going to pass the question off to our listeners. Do you think it passes the Bechtel test, even though our main character has no name? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, complicated. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about Nancy's dream team test. Was the supporting cast at least 50% women? No. Did (laughs) you... Did a woman write, direct, or produce the film? Yes to all three. Was the final girl a person of color? Yes. Everyone in this film is of Persian descent. Were there any openly LGBTQ characters in the film? Yes. There is a trans woman, and we will talk more about her and her very beautiful scene later on. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Let's sort of mention the representation of Iranian-American actors in this film. Amirpour had already caught the attention of many of her a-girl actors back in 2007 when a script she had written about teenagers living in Iran won multiple awards, including the Adrienne Shelley Foundation Screenwriting Fellowship. She says, quote, All the Iranian actors came out of the woodwork when they heard about that script. All these people came into my orbit because they wanted to do stuff that wasn't like Terrorist 1 and Terrorist 2 on 24. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, yikes. No kidding. (laughs) Apparently, Los Angeles is the home of the largest number of Iranians living outside of Iran. So it's no wonder that there is a mass amount of Iranian-American actors looking for work. Nice. 
Yeah. So she really, she brought that to the table, which is amazing. Heck yeah. So this is a postmodern punkette film. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Watching this film, I thought, man, Abby is going to love this. Oh my God. <laughs> so excited I about did it. did too. It was my first time watching it and mm-hmm. I text Gracie and I was like, this totally makes me think of SLC Punk. Like, yes, it's got so cool. that like weird, not weird, but different vibe, and it just follows so many storylines and stuff. Oh, I just thought it was perfect. Yeah, I would say that it's a great mix between that film and like Mulholland Drive, which is a David yeah. Lynch film, uh, and Sergio Leone's Westerns, yes. which we'll talk a little bit more about later. But yeah, it's just amazing. So let's mm-hmm. talk about like the punk part of it. So Michael Atkinson calls a girl an ironic retro Iranian punk feminist vampire meta thriller romance whoa (laughs) that's so much which is why i feel like you if you are especially if you are a woman you can't not love this film i know there's so many different things in this for women to enjoy that i don't see how you could hate it at all i know so like just like the the punk version of this so the girl she has like a dingy apartment and it's covered in posters of concerts that she's of course seen because she has eternal life mm-hmm. so she's seen the B- the Bee Gees, uh madonna and elvis and not only that but she listens to modern music on records and on a turntable and there's also this disco ball spinning above her in her room. Yes. So she has like a plethora of different types of music surrounding her. Mm-hmm. I, oh, so good. And it, it reminded me of Only Lovers Left Alive, which is a really great vampire film that also has to deal with music. Mm-hmm. And in that film, too, music is extremely important in the film. And it would make sense because Amirpour apparently worked as a DJ. Oh, cool. So she, too, was also surrounded by music. And you can really tell in this film that she was very intuitive when, like, choosing the music for each scene. Mm-hmm. It felt so natural in every I, scene. Oh, man. It's, I just, I loved the music in it. Yeah. And what's really cool is that there's also a lot of catchy Iranian pop songs Mm -hmm. mixed in with British and American music as well. Like you said in your plot summary, it's a fictional town. Bad City is not real. But we're made to believe that it's Iran, even though it's not Iran, because there's a pimp with visible tattoos. Yes. (laughs) And we see women in public with their hair down and their most of their bodies are uncovered and you know like even though the girl wears her chador she wears it in such a way where it's like she's super hipster about it yes because in the film uh ati asks like are you religious or something and she's like no (laughs) (laughs) and so it's just like so she's not wearing it for religious purposes Mm -hmm. she's wearing it to be cool maybe i don't know and i mean just like how um amirapur said like she put on she just felt like a superhero yes and that might be what the girl is feeling too and not only that but she's wearing like a a boat shirt it's like Mm -hmm. a stripy boat shirt and it's like too short for like modest dress for iran and she has skinny jeans and she's like wearing like punk shoes and she has like 
a lot of eyeliner on yes. and yeah so she is like in this world that doesn't exist which brings us to bad city because bad city is fictional it's mm-hmm. not real and according to uh, michael atkinson again he says quote a fascinating aspect of this hip urban odyssey is its relationship to iranian culture and sharia law without the film really being iranian at all So for those of you who might not know, Sharia law is a religious law forming part of the Islamic tradition, and that is an extremely simplified definition, so I encourage you all to check out the show notes for more information. So to continue Atkinson's quote, Amirpur is of Iranian heritage, but was born in England and raised in the United States hence all the different types of music. Hmm. And although the entire cast speaks Farsi, the film was shot outside of Bakersfield in the San Joaquin Valley. It's a forgotten, empty, desolate landscape, very American and used here for its Hollywoodized iconicity, but it's also Iran. So cool. <laughs> so different. Like, ugh. And Amirpour said, quote, I did go to Iran, finally, but that's completely alien to me. It's weird because Sheila Vand and I, and Sheila Vand plays the girl, Sheila Vand and I were talking about how, with this movie, we kind of made our own place that was as Iranian as we are, which is a mashup of so many things. Hmm. So this is a fantasy world that works for them as Iranian Americans, where they can still accept their culture, but also have like this freedom Mm -hmm. as well. And it's so cool. Well, it kind of reminds me too of um, like Dracula, how the the story of Dracula takes place in Transylvania, but it, it feels like it takes place in like old world England too while they're there yeah so it's kind of cool that well and then I mean this goes right to Suspiria as well it's Mm. like this is Germany but is it Germany yeah it's not really yeah so yeah it's really cool Bad City is both California and it's also a run and between like Saeed who is super predatory and Hussein who's a pathetic loser (laughs) you can like feel like the the sadness of these two failed generations of Iranian men who are consumed by lust and selfishness and mm-hmm. and it's not just Iran though which is why it works as a California and and an Iranian film is because there's this magical hybrid of Iran and California it speaks volumes that it's about men everywhere not just in Iran right the other thing about Bad City was that it kind of reminded me of Sin City, especially oh, yeah. because it was all like filmed in black and white and stuff like that. I guess she's like a huge fan of that comic. That's so cool. <laughs> so I can see how she would think that when she was naming the city. It's also interesting the kind of angle that they took with Bad City because it's an industrial city and it has these huge oil drills and wells and stuff like that. And it's that's something that Iran is obviously known for. It's a huge industry. But yeah, everybody in Bad City seems poor except for like a really select few. Right. Which would include the drug dealer and the family that Arash works for. He's like, um, he does like landscaping and home maintenance for this super rich family. Yes, yeah. Um, But it's kind of unclear where their wealth comes from. But maybe it's oil? I don't know. And 
The girl represents something everlasting while everything else in Bad City runs out. Mm. Eventually, the oil will be gone along with the drugs, but the girl is immortal and ever present. And like she says to the little boy, I'll be watching you your whole life. Oh my God, I love that scene. Yeah. So good. So I love how everything is kind of blended with Iranian culture, but it feels like a poor California town at the same time because it's nondescript we can focus more on the story and how fantastic it is without really having to wonder where we are in the world right i think that we absolutely accept that we are in bad city yes wherever that is yeah and so it's cool. it's so good Ugh. okay so let's talk a little bit about female vampires and women in a girl walks home alone at night so the heroine of this film is not your typical Hollywood vampire. Yes. It's so good. <laughs> the girl is a vampire who targets men, specifically men who are abusive to women. And because she is wearing a chador, you can make like all kinds of political and social connections with that storytelling device because she is an avenger of dominated women. And according to Sheila O'Malley, quote, the image of a female vampire skateboarding down a street, her voluminous veil flying out behind her, does the job with more poetic satisfaction and truth than any explicit, explicit monologue about the repression of women could ever do. Oh. And that's because the girl contradicts both the West's and the East's perception of a veiled woman and gender norms. Yes. Well, according to Guy Lodge, preying on men who take as given the submissiveness of women in her position, she also performs a little grassroots gender reformation, scaring the wits out of a local pre-adolescent with toothy promises of what will happen if he's not a good boy. She's disarmed, however, by Arash, a romantic whose respect for more archaic Islamic codes of honor between men and women draws mockery from others. As she chastely submits to his wooing, even her vampiric instincts are suspended. Rather than breaking his flesh, she allows him to pierce her ears in a tender, erotically charged scene. Some may see this development as running counter to the film's female empowerment agenda, but nonviolent equality is the end game here. Yes, I well, love that quote. And I think what is most important about that scene, and the thing that all of us could take away from it, is that the girl has the right to choose. Yes. She makes a choice to let Arash pierce her ears and in the end one of the pillars of feminism is the freedom to choose who you want to be so i definitely disagree with that sentiment uh so i wanted to quote ren gender which i wonder if her name is actually jen render but that's how she did it for nice. bitch flicks. That's her, <laughs> that's her pen name for bitch flicks. I like it. So according to Ren Gender at Bitch Flicks, quote, Americans often read Chador on women to mean vulnerability. But like the frail seeming pale young blonde May in another beautifully shot vampire western, also directed by a woman, the pre-hurt locker Catherine Bigelow. Yes. 1987's Near Dark, who, when her cowboy boyfriend lassos her as a joke, takes hold of the rope and pulls him in. The girl also has hidden reserves of strength. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I want to quote another Bitch Flicks article, and this one is by Melissa Kelly Franklin, and she says, quote, 
well-trodden is the trope that a woman would do absolutely anything to protect her child. So, violent acts by women can be easily explained away with the justification that their maternal instincts are kicking in, thereby restoring women to their place in the natural order. And I want to take a break from that and mention that that reminds me of uh, Mrs. Voorhees. Yes. So there's that. To continue with uh, Kelly Franklin's quote, she says, similarly, rape revenge is often used as a catalyst for driving women to violence, using rape as a means of pushing a character to her extreme, thereby asserting that only horrific trauma can compel a woman to act outside of a socially constructed notions of gender. And I mean, what? That's American Mary. That is, you know, I spit on your grave. That Mm -hmm. is... Revenge. The movie Revenge, (laughs) exactly. Uh, To go back to Kelly Franklin's quote, she says, neither of these reasons are shallow or unjustified. Mm -hmm. And I'd much rather see a female character take control, retaliate, and fight back than see her as a passive victim. However... What these more commonplace depictions of violent women do is silence other motivations which might see women as actively engaging in calculated acts of violence for personal and political reasons. Ah, yes. This is so important. Like, in a way, when we show women reacting this way only to tragedy or, like, being threatened, we kind of pigeonhole them into being maternal or just fighting to survive. Right. And there are plenty of women that I know personally in my everyday life that are fierce simply because they simply want to be the best athlete or CEO or chef or doctor. And while some people might call men ambitious or stern... These same motivations for women make us bitches or ice queens or control freaks. Right. So, yeah. So, before we end this topic, let's just mention uh, mention a few other women who are shown in a girl. There's the sex worker Ati, who saves all of her cash and dreams of escaping Bad City to places marked on her huge map on her wall. And then there's the more privileged daughter of the wealthy family, and... She feels that she needs to conform to conventional beauty standards by having a nose job. Mm. So both of these women are in different positions, right, in life. Like one is very poor, one is very rich. They're both women, though. Yeah. So they both have things that they have to deal with that maybe aren't quite their choices. Right. It's only the girl that moves freely about the city and she, like, addresses all of her oppression with her own form of violent justice. Yes. However, in the end, she also leaves, though. Mm-hmm. Think about that, won't you? <laughs> so let's talk about the trans woman in A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Mm-hmm. This is one of my absolute favorite scenes in this film. This is the one that really reminded me of like Twin Peaks, sort of a David Lynch type thing. Mm -hmm. Just was so beautiful and dreamlike. And Shadi Abdi and Bernadette Calafel explain their views on this scene so beautifully. They say, quote, We are introduced to a transgender woman dressed in a Western-style fringe shirt and bandana headscarf, playing and dancing with a balloon. The balloon had been previously floating in the air somewhat unattainable. However, the trans woman now has a hold of it, 
and is delighting in it. She invites the viewer to join her in the dance and its euphoria. We see the joy of the trans woman capturing and dancing with the balloon, mirroring the joy of the girl and how she feels in finding intimacy with Arash. Hmm. And I think that it's important to note that this woman is most often seen alone. Yes. So like the vampire, like the girl, she is an outsider in her own way. Mm-hmm. However, she's not sad because I think it's safe to say she is living her life to the fullest. She is full of euphoria because she is who she was meant to be. Yeah, that is true. Because the very first time you see her is when the movie opens and you see a rush driving by in the car, I think, and she just looks at him and smiles. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting character. She really is one of the only characters in this film that smiles. Yes. And she's alone. (laughs) And she's alone. But she is but she is so confident and comfortable in herself that she doesn't need anything else. Bad City doesn't affect her. She's in her own sort of like utopia almost. Yeah. Within her body. Yeah. I wonder if maybe that's meant to show both sides of Bad City. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, she's also one of the only people that doesn't really interact with the girl at all. No, like, the girl yeah. doesn't come to her aid for any reason. She doesn't need her. Right. Yeah. Ooh. That's a good one. <laughs> so let's talk more about, like, loneliness, vampirism, and westerns. Mm-hmm. So in an interview with Robert Ito, Amirpour said, quote, Vampires are super lonely, which is so romantic. And there's all that guilt, which is like an aphrodisiac. Everything's better with a little guilt. And like we can talk about feminism all day. Of course we do. Um, But what's really (laughs) funny is that Amirpour was really trying to say something else in her film. She was trying to say that loneliness hurts. Mm -hmm. And it really builds character. Here's another quote from the Los Angeles Times by her. In this case, it's really about loneliness. A vampire is the loneliest, most isolated, cutoff type of care- of creature. She also has something very bad to hide about who she is, and it's a brilliant disguise. It becomes a way to stay under the radar and underestimated. There are a million ways to read it, like her film. There are a million ways to read it. It will tell you more about you than it does about me. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, in the end, Arash is lonely enough to forgive the girl for killing his father. And they're the only characters with a hopeful future by the end of the film because they leave Bad City together. And the beauty of loneliness is that it leads to tenderness and like forgiveness and sometimes even love. So, of course, that theme would work perfectly for a vampire film. Right. And I think that's why this film works as a Western as well. That loneliness is shown in many Westerns with, like, cowboys on a horse, like, looking at the wild frontier on a mountaintop all by themselves. And, I mean, that's why Ravenous and Near Dark work well as Westerns, too. Like, the West is lonely, and so is vampirism. Like, the girl is just like the Clint Eastwood character, the man with no name. Whoa. And it's no wonder that Amirapur is a Sergio Leone fan. The girl even stands at a distance like she's about to go, like, do a standoff. Yes. She's a gunslinger, except her guns are her teeth, which retract like a switchblade. Nice. So cool. I know. And like any good Western, a girl sets the scene for the dire need 
for a hero. Mm. And that is exactly what it is. It's so good. Yes. Uh, and like this could also reflect her wearing her chador. Like she is the only woman who wears one in the film. Mm-hmm. If we want to see this as a magical version of Iran and America mixed together, it would make sense that she is the only one wearing one because she is the other. Yeah. However, she is also the most powerful of them all. Mm-hmm. So cool. Uh, so good. I know. Okay, so final thought. Mm-hmm. The spirit of the girl, a vengeful and matronly character. She kills Arash's father, Hussein, and Arash knows this, but still he takes her away from Bad City. Mm-hmm. So even before that, after Arash holds her in his cape because he's Dracula. That's my favorite. It's so cute. It is. He's Dracula at that costume party. She senses his sweetness and she carries him back to her place and like she like tries to take care of him after he's been like partying really hard. So like she saves Ati as well from Saeed and takes his money and gives it to her and in a way she's providing for both Ati and Arash like a mother. She's protecting them and she's also providing for them. Mm. So, like, this could also relate to the little boy who is known as the street urchin, apparently. The street urchin. That's his name. Oh, my God. Uh, whom the girl asks if he's been good, right? Mm-hmm. And we've talked about witches and the old crone trope in the past mm-hmm. in other episodes. And we mentioned in those two that the child is normally afraid of the first person that they get to know in their life which is their mother yes which is why there's wicked stepmothers and there's wicked witches because children are inherently afraid of the older woman in their life and so like this little boy of course would be afraid of the girl oh well it's kind of cool because it's like she's the embodiment of all three mother maiden and crone yes and that's something that you don't see very often in horror like you see them in separate characters but the unique thing about the girl is that she is she's so absolutely relatable she's terrifying and loving and curious all at once and i think that we can all agree that we've all got that built into us yes like because of the duality of our characters and like who we are as people no one is just one thing right because it's boring you know i think you hit the nail on the head right there because you just said that you know not everyone is just one one thing right because it's boring but um i think you just described this film really because the film is not a Sergio Leone film. It's not a David Lynch film. It's not just a vampire film. It's not just a punk film. It's all of these things. And it's not an Iranian and American film. It is this conglomeration of this writer-director's world that she sees. And so that just to me shows that she is also not just one thing. Like she doesn't fit into a particular box and yeah i think that that's um that's a great place for us to end the show that makes her such a cool like ah she's just like an embodiment of what it is to be female and it's so awesome to see yes i i love this film if you haven't seen it i highly recommend it it's currently on shutter which is a streaming service that if you love horror even just a little bit you should get the streaming service for sure it's so good 
Well, that is it for this week's episode of Good Morning Nancy. You guys, don't forget to check out our merch shop. We've got coffee mugs, sweatshirts, t-shirts, and more. Head on over to goodmorningnancy.com merch and click the shirt icon to be taken to our shop. And if you're not already a patron, go to patreon.com slash goodmorningnancy for some sweet extra content in your coffee. We review horror, horror trailers, TV shows, and new movies over there, so become a patron, won't you? You can also help support the show by following us on social media. Facebook at Good Morning Nancy, Twitter at Good Morning Nan, and Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. We're also on Tumblr at Good Morning Nancy. Also, tell a friend and spread the word about our show. We love you all to death. Have a good morning. Bye! <laughs>